0: I believe that content has the power to connect us all it's up to you how you use it listen in for genuine and insightful chats with guests as well as practical tools and strategies from me it's so lovely to have you here let's dive into the show Hello, hello, beautiful people, and welcome to episode 81 of the Powerful Content Podcast. Today, I have with me the amazing Lauren Hamilton, founder of Digital Narrative. So Lauren knows small business. The child of self-employed parents, she has founded two businesses herself and helped hundreds of her fellow founders grow their businesses through smart marketing solutions. After a 10-year career in media sales, business development, and marketing, Lauren founded Digital Narrative in 2014 with the goal of helping small businesses punch above their weight in the online arena. Today, Lauren leads a team of talented marketers who create websites, including their new website in one week product, which I'm sure we'll touch on today, content marketing strategies and digital ad campaigns that elevate small businesses to new heights. She is more passionate than ever about encouraging business owners to back themselves and their dreams through investing in quality digital marketing services. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. Hello, thank you for having me. (laughs) It's such a pleasure to have you here. Now, I love in your bio, Lauren, how you mentioned that your parents were self-employed. So many many business owners don't have that opportunity to see self-employment in action or what it actually looks like to run a business. I'm gonna start off with a really tough question for you. What impact do you think This has had on your personal business journey if any?
1: It definitely has it's had an impact and I was reflecting on it on the weekend because I'm now the sandwich generation my 11 year old son has started his own business wow so clearly this runs in the family and a good friend of mine said pretty much that question she was like why are your children such hustlers and I was like because they're my children and they're my parents grandchildren and that's what we do in our family. My sister also has her own business. Wow. I think what we learned was that, number one, there is a bit of risk involved and to have an appetite for risk. When you start your own business, it, it you're going out on a limb and there's more risk involved than working for somebody else for your entire life, which you have to have that appetite for that. But I guess you have to see that it's okay to fail. So because I started two businesses, the first one I – I wouldn't say it failed, but I had my second son and my first business was actually doing food tours on foot in all the sort of cool inner suburbs of Sydney. Now, my I managed to keep that going through having my first baby. The second one would not drink from a bottle. He never drank once from a bottle once in his life. He would only be breastfed when I tried to do a tour. My mum, who was minding him, would have to bring him to me and I would feed him in a bathroom at one of the stops. And that just became clearly like <laughs> I couldn't keep doing that. So I closed and sold that business and started this business instead, something I could do at home with my child on my boob and keep working throughout the day. I think that attitude comes from my parents where you, you kind of get knocked down, you get back up again, not to quote that ridiculous song. But but yeah, that tenacity and and backing yourself comes from them. And I think the resourcefulness, so two very different businesses. My dad started a big and ultimately very successful tractor and farm machinery business on the south coast where I'm from. He had a second outfit, so he had two dealerships at one point, worked all the time. I never saw him, which left my mum home with three kids. Not to be outdone, she wanted to retain an income and keep her skills current, so she started her own little sort of cottage industry of typing and doing secretarial work essentially from home with her own ABN, which was not that common 40 years ago. So I saw from her that resourcefulness of watching children and stuffing envelopes at the same time. And she would have us helping with those projects when we were really small. So it's definitely in the blood and just looking for that opportunity to turn, you know, to turn a profit from something that you're able to do at your own pace in your own environment.
0: I love that so much, Lauren. And firstly, can I just say I never knew that you did food tours. I just, I did, I did not know that about you. So to to learn that is really quite fascinating. But I love how you mention your resourcefulness. So the ability to switch from that business of food touring to something that was a little bit different because of the stage of life that you're in. And I think that that is such a beautiful lesson for so many of my listeners to take away today is that business is about a stage of life, isn't it? A season of life and fitting it in with your life rather than letting it run your life.
1: Absolutely. And I think the thing that we have to remember as small and micro business owners. So I recently went to a, a, a function with Mums & Co who, who defined micro as under five employees, which would be many of your listeners, many of my friends, myself. Yes, I've got yes. three employees, so that would be me. Um, micro businesses are even more resourceful and resilient than small businesses. And I think what what is interesting is that we all, myself very much included, often get frustrated about the constraints or the smallness of what we're doing, or we feel in, you know, insignificant, like we're not making any difference. We're not getting anywhere, but we have to always remind ourselves, why did I get into this in the first place? It was for flexibility. It was for the ability to do what I want, when I want to time shift to go to that athletics carnival and then work an hour in the evening if need be, you know, to, to sort of work when your partner's available to, care for your children or work when you don't have to be doing something else. And we always have that, but somehow the shine of that wears off and you forget that you have that and you start focusing on the annoying parts of being self-employed. As I say, I'm the first one to be guilty of this. Um, I have to frequently take a step back and remind myself, no, hey, hey, this is why you did this in the first place. What is now annoying you?
0: Mm, Beautiful reminder, Lauren. Absolutely beautiful reminder. And you're right that most of us and definitely most of my listeners have started their businesses for that flexibility piece to be able to, like you said, go to the school carnivals or the school assemblies, or in my case, when my teens sleep in and they're running late, I can drop them to school. (laughs) Those sorts of things. Whereas perhaps if I had a full-time job, then I might not be able to do those things. So thank you for that reminder. I think that we could Probably talk on this topic all day of, you know, running small businesses, but we're here to talk about websites today, which is rather exciting because I know that websites can be an absolute minefield, especially if you're starting out in business or actually at any stage of business. I know that when I first switched from a free DIY Wix version to a WordPress version, then that was a really big jump for me. So I would love to have a discussion today if we could, Lauren, firstly around what are the types of things that we need to make sure that we avoid when we're thinking about a website or things that we should definitely include when we're thinking about creating a website for our business?
1: What I always say to to that question is you have to be very realistic as a business owner, your own capacity, your skill set, and the time that you will likely have to work on your business and what your potential customers will want out of your website. By that, I mean, often people, to be honest, overdo it. They really overdo it. They over, you know, overproof the pudding. They put so much content, so many sort of bells and whistles into a website and they make it so incredibly clever and, and custom coded that they can never change anything. So they're, they're, they're left with a static product, which is not how a website should be. It's not a brochure. It's a, like I think of it like a living, breathing thing and it should change constantly and fluidly as your business changes if you are setting yourself up to make that an impossible or an onerous task, you're you're sort of, you know, making a mistake from the beginning. So wherever your skill set is at, you need to match that with the kind of website that you can work with. Otherwise, you'll spend an absolute fortune on developers, or you'll leave your website to just languish and be that real, you know, carved in stone kind of artifact, which it shouldn't be. And then the other point that I sort of started to make then is around excess complexity and not really thinking deeply about your target audience and what they are seeking when they go to your website. How are you able to match what they're looking for, their needs with your offering? Reflecting on that and, you know, ensuring that you're, you're capturing as much as possible that you're capturing visitors and giving them a reason to leave their details with you. So it's not a one-time untraceable transaction.
0: Mm, I'm going to pick up on one point that you've just said then, Lauren, and that is that your website is not a brochure. Now that is a really interesting concept because I do often think of my website as a set and forget thing. Like, okay, I've worked with my developer or my designer. I've come up with the copy. We plonked it on, onto an online space without thought to perhaps what do I need to update as my business changes, as I change as a person, as my ideal clients change. So what sort of things, Lauren, should we be thinking about updating or changing perhaps on a regular basis?
1: I think, I know that you, this is something you do. So I think you should give yourself more credit, but it's things like adding blogs, adding podcasts, adding new pages where they become relevant, refining service offerings, adjusting prices is is critical. You know, inflation continues to to mean that we have to charge in line with what our cost of living is. So, those being able to make those changes, and that might seem like, oh, sure, anyone can do that, but absolutely not. I work with clients that honestly, they have a lot of like shame and sensitivity around their tech skills. May make you know they make profuse excuses before we even begin. Like, I'm sorry, I'm really stupid. I don't know how to do this.
0: I'm like that's so,
1: like you're not stupid. It's hard. Not everybody knows how to do this stuff. I don't know how to do a bunch of things. But that's why I said that the point of matching your capacity to your to your web platform is important. And I think from Google's perspective, it hates a static website. You can't leave your website just, you know, a monument in stone. As I said, it has to keep changing and you have to keep adding content to, to pacify the Google search bots. So even, you know, even if humans were <laughs> extinct and we're just pleasing Google, we have to keep that in content. So the basic the very basic is plugins that add your social content to pages, for instance. The next step is that monthly or fortnightly blog or video or podcast piece, for fresh content being added to a page. Another obvious one is a portfolio page where you keep adding that. You should be adding testimonials as they come from Google Business or wherever you, wherever you gather reviews, they should be added in as well. So all of that live and continuous sort of self-creating content, you need to be replicating it on your site.
0: Fabulous. I love those suggestions. A couple of things that I wouldn't have thought of is adding testimonials as they come in. So like you said, even if they're on Google or if you specifically ask for them as part of your offboarding process, which I do, then that's a great way to actually refresh your content as well. Now, I'm going to ask you... copy and paste. Yes, yes. And how easy is that? That's so, so fantastic. Now, I wanted to ask you a question around fresh content and the fact that I think that some people create content for content's sake. So what would you say to, you know, someone who... Perhaps is has been told that they should create a blog every week just because kind of thing. So what kind of content should we include on our websites that is not just content for content's sake? Is there kind of things that we need to think about?
1: Absolutely. So one of my one of my sort of core skills is SEO for small business, which is a different animal from SEO for Coca-Cola. It's more on a local level and it's in a way it's easier because you know what people are asking or you can find out what people are asking to get to your kind of service business. So in my case, it will be like, what's the best website for small businesses? That would be an example that people would be searching. You take that question and you make that the title of your blog. Your blog should either answer a question that real people are really asking to get to your service Or they should feature a keyword that you want to show up in search results for. And they should be optimized on page and off page where possible for that keyword.
0: Mind blown stuff here, Lauren, because
1: I think it's harder than it
0: is. (laughs) But like, I think that that's such a simple concept, but something that a lot of people don't actually do. You've just given two really great points there in terms of avoiding creating content for content's sake. And that is answering a real question people have. Super simple. Answer a question that people have. And the other one is adding that keyword or making sure that the keyword is is found in it. Now, I think we're going... We're going to go a little bit off track here for a second, Lauren, but I feel like I need to ask this question and that is around keywords. How do we understand what a keyword is for our business?
1: There's a lot of tools out there. Some of them are paid, some of them are free. If you have a Google ads account, you can look at historical keywords. I, I, you know, I can't really sort of explain how to do it now, but that is a free version. There's a, there's a free system there that you can use. I use Uber Suggest, which is paid. Um, that's Neil Patel, who's the UK SEO guru guy. That's his program. When I say it's paid, it's like $100 a year. Or something. Like, it's not a lot. So using something like that is good. A really, really simple way is to start typing in. So you have a hunch, basically. You can test your hunches. So let's say that I've got a hunch that I think small businesses, when it comes to websites, are typing in what kind of website should I build? If you start to type that in Google, what kind of website, it will auto-fill. You might have noticed this before. So if you start to type lasagna and it auto-fills lasagna recipe easy, you know how it does that. So if you start to type what you do, let's say content marketing, you might find that it fills in help Sydney. So you might then create a, a blog, which is where's the best place to turn for content marketing help in Sydney. So you are literally responding to what you can see Google is auto-suggesting or filling in for you when you go to search something that you sort of want to be found for. That's a really easy way to do it. The next step is something like free, like Google AdWords tool, which is in, in the ad sort of dashboard. And the next step is using a paid SEO management tool like Uber Suggest or SEMrush, one of those. There's quite a lot of them. That way you can find the keywords, the other thing that I think just from an SEO perspective is to be, I want to be really clear, you don't scatter keywords and synonyms for them like sprinkles on fairy bread throughout your blog. There are places that you put it, you be single-minded. If you are talking about content marketing, don't then also chuck in a bunch of other keywords just you know, on a wing and a prayer. That's not how it works. So content marketing which I would never advise really that we tackle because it's too competitive. You need to look for something a little bit more unusual than that really to succeed. You put content marketing in your title, in all of the metadata, you know, which is the the name of the photo that you add, that alternative text of the photo in all of the things, every place that you can find, you put that keyword and you have it once every 100 words, a prox in your body copy sounding very natural you make sure that you've got at least a 300 minimum word count for your blog. And that's your on-page SEO done if you do that.
0: Oh, my goodness. There's so many amazing tips there, Lauren. I love it so much. And I love how how easy it could be to get going. Like you said, just simply typing, starting to type into Google. If you have that hunch, if you have an idea of what people might actually be asking, Google's going to fill in the rest for you. So, Fabulous tip there. So if anyone who's listening is stuck for any content ideas, start your Google search. Start a Google search and see where it takes Mm. you. Now, in that discussion about CEO, you did mention about types of website and we've touched on it already during the episode around understanding what your Tech ability is and understanding what's right for you and what's up right for your clients. Now, when we're thinking of creating a website for our business, are there things that we should really be kind of ticking off to determine which sort of website that we need? Now, I know that I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to buddy in here for a second. I know that you have a quiz, an amazing quiz. And I'm going to put the (laughs) I love quizzes. And I'm going to pop the link to that in the show notes around the best type of website for you. But can you just kind of give us a little bit of an indication of, you know, how do we choose what sort of website? There's so many different platforms out there, so many different types. What kinds of things should we be looking for first?
1: Yeah. I mean, unless you are selling something online and I know some service businesses, my own included, sell their Their services as products. So you might have a package that you literally get people to buy or you might have e-books and things like that. If you have e-commerce needs, Shopify is often the best solution. If you are reasonably technical and you want something really, really customised with a lot of bells and whistles, which generally tends to be larger businesses or or people like you and I, Mel, who, who do know how to do the basics of web stuff ourselves, you might want a WordPress site, which both you and I have. For the vast majority of people, we recommend, and our our, our most popular package is a Squarespace site. Squarespace has a lot of pros and really no cons that I've come across. The main one for me is ease of editing. Like it's so simple to edit and there are really good online video tutorials that you can learn how to do almost anything. So our clients at Digital Narrative like to generally keep the costs low. So after we build them a site, they can then add all the content and continue to make updates themselves. That's the first point. The second point is we're able to build it fast. That's why it's called website in one week because Squarespace is a drag and drop builder, which means it's it's much more, it's much faster to get built in the first place and to change things. And finally, it's security. Squarespace websites are almost never hacked. I have worked for 10 years on all different types of web websites and I've never had a Squarespace site be hacked. WordPress sites, including my own and all of the client sites that I work on are generally hacked quite regularly. I work on one that is hacked every single week and we have to remove malware. Yeah. It's an ongoing problem and it's got high level security. Because WordPress is reliant on plugins, often the plugins are the portal for the for the for the gremlins. So if you don't want to worry about someone hacking your site, then really consider Squarespace. That's Shopify a... is pretty good for that too, but you, you might not need that. You, you're not having a store. You don't need that.
0: That's really interesting, Lauren. And it does surprise me to hear that Squarespace and Shopify less hacked or never get hacked over WordPress websites. That's really amazing.
1: Yeah, it's the plugins. That's a vulnerability. And Shopify does use plugins too so that is all there's vulnerability there they call them apps but that's the same thing Squarespace has fewer you 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 have more inbuilt like native functionality you don't need to add as many plugins or apps
0: yeah amazing so when someone's actually thinking about creating a website or having a website done and they've decided which platform is is best for them I feel as though sometimes the thought of creating content for a website or putting together a website can be overwhelming, can be absolutely yeah. burdensome. Now, you've got this amazing, amazing package called Website in a Week. How does that help someone to overcome that overwhelm?
1: This is what, what you just said is essentially the, you know, the insight that I had that, that
0: caused me to develop this
1: program and I had it while talking to my sister who owns her own business. She is a doula and, and a midwife on the South Coast and she asked me to build her a website and I kept chasing her for content. I'd be like, Lisa, you said you were going to get me the homepage copy. I can't get started. Give me the copy. And all these <laughs> things. I need your domain logins. And one day she me up and she was like, listen. And, you know, sisters can be really frank with each other, which is why it was a good insight. She's like, you keep saying all this jargon. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know what copy is and I don't have a domain. What, Like, seriously, just what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, my God. I am just spouting jargon at everybody, left, right, and centre, and assuming that they know. And they don't know because they're a florist or whatever and they don't need to know, you know, your cPanel access. Like, they don't, that's not – same as I don't know how to deliver a baby, she didn't know what cPanel was. So <laughs> fair's fair. And – it made me sort of think, why do all web developers really just focus on the end result and nobody focuses on the experience of the small or micro business owner as they are working through getting their website developed? There's actually a step before the building, which is a bit painful if you are not a web developer. And that step is writing the content, working out which photos are best, making those photos the right size you know, adding captions to your videos and getting them on YouTube and then supplying a link. Some of your listeners might be like, oh, my God, that's basic. I could do that in my sleep and that's awesome. But there are people that that's like Nightmare on Elm Street for. So I developed the whole sort of process essentially an online platform that guides you through every step and you get my talking head and lovely (laughs) dulcet tones (laughs) explaining to you like, Here's how to write optimized copy, step one. You know, like really I'm trying to break it down as much as humanly possible. And if you're like that super easy, Lauren Durr, you just skip ahead, just don't listen to me. But if you need it, it's there. And that at each point after you've sort of learned that and created whatever it is, you know, your about page copy, let's say, then it says please submit here and you just submit it. And so I receive it all in a very ginormous Dropbox. It all goes into there. And from there, we're very easily able to build your site because everything we need is in one place. We don't have to keep blowing up your phone going, excuse me, I need your LinkedIn (laughs) URL or some (laughs) annoying thing like that.
0: Oh, I love that so much because it's more than just a process it's more than just the steps that I need to tick the boxes to give you the things to build the website, but it's the learning side of it as well. So not only am I learning how to write that optimized copy or what goes on about page, I know that it's going to be done right the first time. I know that you said that, you know, websites aren't, a brochure and you need to update them. But you know generally speaking, I feel like so many of us don't feel like we've got it right the first time and this step-by-step process combined with the learning is a really great tool especially for people who are new in business.
1: Absolutely and you use a lot of the things that you create over and over again. So one of the steps is creating your logo in Canva in several different variations and how to remove the background from your logo for instance. Now you need that over and over again. You're going to overlay your, your you know, transparent background logo on 50 different things when you start a business. So it, it stands you in good stead for all of the future digital marketing work that you're doing. And what I did when I was developing it was look at my Loom library, you know, Loom that you use to make screen recordings. So yes. I make those for clients all the time because they ring me and go, I don't know how to do whatever. And I go, no worries, I'll make you a Loom. And so some of them I've re- used and reused and reused many times because people just keep asking me those. So I made sure to include those explanations, you know, that was the first sort of batch of videos we did because those are the, the FAQs, I guess.
0: Yeah. And your website in a week, if people want to learn more about it, where do they hit? Yeah, it, it's got
1: its own URL. So one websiteinoneweek.au.
0: Fabulous. And I'll make sure that that's included in the show notes as well. This has oh, been thank s- you. such a super interesting discussion. And I think that we've kind of went off a little bit of tangent with SEO, <laughs> but just to, just to understand, you know, the basics of websites and to know that they are an ever-evolving piece of our content ecosystem as well. And they're not just a set and forget, I think is a really important point as well. Now, Lauren, I am all about women owning and using their superpowers. So I would love for you to share with us, what do you think your superpower is? Contrary to my, what you may
1: have experienced in this podcast, I believe my superpower is demystifying concepts for normal people. Yeah. And I didn't really realize it until actually somebody gave me a testimonial, which said that, and she's a writer and doesn't at all struggle with digital concepts, but she said, the way that you demystified that all for me, nobody has been able to explain it and break it down for me so that it's so crystal clear before. And I, since that, I started to notice that, yeah, I, I think I have a way of explaining things in, in plain English that a lot of other people in my role do not have. So even for my children, I, I find that I'm very good at demystifying concepts and often giving metaphors or analogies to just make it really clear.
0: Yeah. Well, Do you want I to hear be- my favorite? Yes, please.
1: It's a content one. <laughs> I always say that content marketing, I use the Bolognese rule. It's called the batch cooking or Bolognese rule. Yes. I mentioned this on a Mums & Co podcast once. Okay. Yeah. That's my favorite. And man, I use that every day. So every single bit of content you create should be like a giant batch of Bolognese mints. Don't make it once and then eat it once you're going to turn it into 10 different dinners for the family and you're only going to do one batch of cooking in one week so that's the same that's that's that concept
0: i'll be using that from now on lauren
1: you feel free
0: Thank you so much. And I just want to go back to your superpower as well. I think that you have definitely done that in today's episode, really simplified it and made it easy to understand without making us feel a little bit dumb because sometimes people can make us feel a little bit dumb about around technology. So thank you for that, Lauren. Really appreciate it. Before we finish up today, do you have any final parting words of wisdom?
1: you know what, something that I wish I knew when I started my journey, I don't know, some of your people may be early in their business owning journey. And what I wish that I had known back then is you have to, it's the stupid old saying, you have to speculate to accumulate. I never really got that. Now I understand that men who start businesses spend money on their business and they justify it. Women who start businesses, including myself, do not. We scrimp and save, we DIY everything, we do stuff ourselves that we shouldn't, that we really need a professional to help us with. We don't invest in advertising. If It's your business and it's your dream. Back yourself, invest in yourself and spend the money on your business to get the outcomes that you want. You know, a lot of small businesses started by women falter and it's not for lack of smarts or effort. It's because they don't connect with investors or they don't, they're not willing to put household budget towards it. So, so really, I think take take a lesson from me. I've done that twice over and I've finally learned my own lesson. <laughs> Hopefully some people can learn from my mistakes <laughs> and spend that money, you know, run those ads, get that good website that you deserve and do it now. There's no point doing it in six years when you've struggled on for six years.
0: Thank you so much. That is very wise, wise words for you know, to just to encourage women to invest in themselves because you're right, we don't do it enough. Thank you so much. Not enough. I yeah. thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Lauren, and sharing your wisdom with my listeners. I truly appreciate you being here.
1: Oh, I loved it. Thank you for
0: having me. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for another week. To get more powerful content in your life, make sure you're following along on socials. My handle is at meld business. And just in case you're wondering, the groovy music for this podcast was created by Just Here on SoundCloud. I'd also be super grateful if you took a moment to rate and review this podcast so more amazing women like you can experience the power of content. And if you're like, hell, Mel, stop talking. I'm ready to work with you now. Here's how we can work some powerful content magic together. Firstly, come and join The Content Effect, my membership inspiring women with service-based businesses to ditch the content chaos and start creating standout content that gets you noticed and makes sales. You can join us by using the link in the show notes or just Google The Content Effect. The second way we can work together is via my one-on-one packages. We can create a sustainable content strategy or start to build out your client journey. It's up to you. Hop on over to meldbusinessservices.com.au forward slash services to find out more. Until next time, have a beautiful week and embrace the power of your content.